I can see that humanity and holiness can exist together in me. But does God do something for those human defects other than just some long process of growth? When will I be entirely free from error and limitations? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. Thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK, 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. We are local. We're in the Wyoming Valley in the Wilkes-Barre area. And what we're trying to do is start small groups. We want to talk about spiritual matters and look at the Bible together. And it best happens when it's close and intimate, and we can ask those questions instead of being lost in a larger group. We're trying to be disciples ourselves, and what we want to do is make disciples just like Jesus commanded. We want other people to follow Jesus with us to obey him and to walk in his light. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance, and that is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for video content, teaching, and preaching. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos that we put on YouTube there. So please also look for God's Resistance Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you would like to have a Bible study, or you want somebody to pray with you, or maybe you just need to talk to somebody, please contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Now let's listen in on today's briefing. Last week we were talking about humanity and holiness existing together in the same person. And sometimes people, especially in this day, think, can humanity and holiness exist together? It's almost as if people think that God has a problem with our humanity, but he created us and he said we were very good. So he wants to take out of us those things that are unnatural, which is sin and self-centeredness and selfishness, the root of sin. He wants to clean that out of the heart, but there are certain effects from the fall that are left behind. And the question is, what do we do about those? Two Sundays ago, I had talked about there being uh, growth and maturity. We take care of that sin problem, and then we can grow and expand in those good and solid virtues that God implants within the soul. But we still kind of deal with this humanity of ours all the way until the end. So what do we do about that? What's the last thing God does for the human redeemed soul? Today, we're going to be talking about glorification. And we're going to start in Philippians 3, verse 21. Speaking about Jesus, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his, Jesus' glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So think first about the beginning, the beauty of God's creation. Think about how there was just perfection on every level. There's perfection in creation. There's perfection in plant life and animal life and mankind. They just lived in a perfect, untainted world. Adam and Eve, they had perfect communion 
between God and man. It said that they walked with God in the cool of the day. They knew him so intimately without a problem stuck between them and God. Also, think about what the vividness of their memory would have been like, Adam and Eve. You and I, we've got faults now, we, it being that we're, our minds are tainted by the fall and we're in a state of decay until he redeems everything. We sometimes have trouble remembering what we did yesterday or, or this person we just met an hour ago. What was their name again? Think about Adam and Eve, though, and the vividness of their memory, the vividness of their perception of the colors that they saw around them, the vividness of the sound that they heard. You know, we can get going in life and start to realize that our hearing isn't all what it used to be, but they had such exquisite senses. They had such perfection there in the garden. Man isn't a perfect being right now, but then there is no hindered faculties, no hindered faculties of thought, uh, of their senses, of their love, of anything you can think about that a man or a woman can do that's endowed with. It wasn't hindered then. All the powers of man in the world were there before the fall, and there was no sin or no evil. The problem was all of those things that God created and said were good were tainted by the fall after. And like it says, uh, John Bunyan said, then in comes Diabolus and his, sm his spokesman, Ilpaws, to plant doubt in the heart and mind of man's soul. He, he brings up the height of deception and painting a picture of such bondage to complex rules and laws of Shaddai the king, such a vile creature, painting himself as a harmless friend. He didn't dress up as an ugly creature with red horns and a pitchfork, but he dressed up as a man of Wall Street, hair well-kept, clean-shaven, mannerly, but the fires of hell burned inside of his heart. He was the rebel of rebels, planting the seed of rebellion in man in this perfect creation. Then the catastrophe the height of the fall of man, the height of all of creation, the impeccable glories now tarnished with a foreign substance and now attaching itself to all the beauties of God like a cancer. Now all creation groans under the bondage of sin, groans for a deliverance. So that begs the question, who will deliver me from the effects of the fall wholesale? The prophecy of Genesis 3.15 revealed to the woman, that is Eve, that there was a Redeemer coming in the fullness of time. And 4,000 years later, God became flesh and dwelt among us as of the only begotten of the Father, full of uh, grace and truth. <clears throat> so Christ became, or Christ came to redeem us from sin. He's cleaned out the corruption of sin in the hearts of those that repent and believe on his name. They have now this treasure in earthen vessels. Remember, as I said last week, the treasure of the indwelling Christ is now inside of this cracked pot, which is humanity. With all of its faults and failures, we can have all those faults and failures and yet live without sin. The cracked pot is the body of our humiliation. So what can God do for pain, for sickness, for sorrow, for disability, and for death? Well, God is still able in 2020 to heal people of certain pains and sickness and to save them from death. God can still do that 
right now. Those gifts have not fallen away from the church wholesale. I will say that there seems to be less and less of a manifestation of God's miraculous power as there used to be, but you can read in biographies of people even 50 to 100 years ago that God was still doing it, and I've heard accounts of it even happening right now. Some have gone into such an excess that it's not really the way the Bible teaches, but we can't, because of people going in excess, discount something that God really, truly can do and will do in this day. But ultimately, we're still going to be surrounded by pain and sickness and sorrow and disability and death. So what does God do for it to take care of all of it? What does God do? Well, there is a redemption that has yet to come in all of its fullness. There still is a redemption that is coming for us on the horizon that we have yet to look to. There is hope. If there was no hope, It would just be a miserable existence right now. But as we read before, we read, who shall change our vile body? That is not our vile body in that our body is disgusting and sinful and evil in and of itself, because evil doesn't exist in the flesh and bones of our body, but exists inside of the heart of people, exists inside of the depths of our soul. He's saying this vile body, meaning this body subject to the effects of sin, decay, death, destruction, this vile body that cannot last forever. He said, who shall change? our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Who has a glorious body? The man Christ Jesus. He came in flesh and blood, just like you and I dwell, and he died the same death that you and I would face, and yet he rose from the dead and overcame it and now has a glorious body. So who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto Christ's glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Not only can he subdue the worlds to himself when he returns back in glory, when he comes back in the clouds and steps foot on this earth again and makes all things new, we're included in that plan of redemption. It says the whole creation groans and travails waiting for when that promised redemption is going to come, where the, the entire effects of the fall will be swallowed up and a new heaven and a new earth will come. There is hope. Another translation of Philippians 3.21 reads it this way, Who shall fashion anew the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, according to the working whereby he is able even to subject all things unto himself, the body of this humiliation. In other words, we're in this cage. We're in a trapped cage. In our soul, there's this vast expanse of desire of things we'd like to do for God. We would like to walk with God. We would like to go all out. We would love to just burn ourselves out for God. But time and time again, and we can read in biographies, we can go only so far before this clay starts to fall apart. And so it's the same in in this this, uh, verse or this translation. We're living in this body of humiliation. We can't always do everything we would long and hope to do because of the effects of the fall upon our faculties that God created good and perfect in the beginning, but have since decayed from the fall of man into this present day. 1 John 3, 2 tells us this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he, that is Christ, shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Isn't that an awesome promise? Think about it. 
now are we the sons of God. We can know if we're a child of God right now in this present earth. Even though we don't know what, it, what we're, what we're going to be like, we don't know what this change is going to be like, it doesn't appear to us right now what we shall be, but we have an inner knowledge that when Christ comes back to this earth and he appears, we're going to be like him somehow. Why? Because he went this way first. He died. He went through the most humiliating death. He was robed in flesh and blood, just like you and I are. He died that gruesome death and he rose again and then was able to then live in heaven forever in a human glorified body. And it's going to be the same for us because he went before us. So what's going to happen? We don't know what we're going to be like, but when he appears, we'll be like him because we're going to see him in his glorified body. We're going to see him as he is. So that begs a question. What is our glorified body going to be like? Well, there are certain things that God has revealed to us in his word, but the secret things belong unto God, says the scriptures. So whatever our glorified beings all entail, we know from that previous verse that it will be like Jesus' glorified human body. So our glory is the obtaining of the Lord's glory. We, we need to walk with him and we need to stay faithful to Jesus all the way to the end. And our glory is to obtain the glory that he has already received after he rose from the dead and is seated at his father's right hand. For uh, Second uh, Thessalonians 2.4, we read, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are set to obtain that glorified state because Jesus purchased it with his own blood if we would stay faithful all the way to the end. Luke 24, 36. And as they spake these things, he himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. That's Jesus in the midst of his disciples behind locked doors. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that what they beheld was a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And wherefore do you questionings arise in your heart? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye behold me having. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, and while they still disbelieved for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So here we find something. The question was, what is our glorified state like? And Well, our glorified state is going to be like Jesus. And then we might say, well, uh, if it's going to be like Jesus, then what do we do now? If it's going to be like Jesus, then let's look at the scriptures and see what Jesus' glorified state looked like. And we find here that it's not that we're just in some weird spirit state where we're floating around, but we find here that that state is still a state in flesh and blood, but it's glorified. He said, see my hands and my feet, that it's I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you behold me having. I remember when I was a young child, I did not have the assurance of salvation or the assurance of heaven. But I know I was bothered in thinking, I remember asking my father when I was a small child, 
What's going to happen to me when I die? Am I going to know you? Am I going to be able to walk on my feet? Am I going to be able to see with my eyes? Am I going to be able to eat food? Because it was a terror to me to think that I'm just going to be some floating spirit out in this nebulous region and not being defined like the way I knew definition right now where I could see someone and recognize them and say, that's this person. We see here that somehow Jesus was a recognized person. He said to touch him because he had flesh and blood and flesh and bones and a spirit doesn't have those things. And he even ate a piece of fish, broiled fish, and ate it. If he was just the spirit, they would have saw this piece of broiled fish drop to the ground. But he ate it and he was comforting them and yet showing them that there's something vastly different that's for them. He's getting a glorified body. You will too if you stay faithful to the end. John chapter 20, verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. It seems to be that in that glorified state, travel is a little bit different than what you and I are used to right now. He could go through walls, it, it seems. He could maybe travel at, at thought or will. I don't know, but there's something different about these bodies than the bodies that you and I uh, live in right now in this present time. Well, it sounds wonderful to have a glorified body, but why are we glorified? Why are you and I glorified as part of God's plan of redemption? We're glorified because Jesus was glorified and he is glorified. He suffered death for every man, woman, and child to redeem them from the curse of Adam upon the entire human race. That is why Jesus died on the cross, not just to forgive us of our sins, not to get us out of a miserable, fiery hell only, not to just make us you know, feel blessed in our souls now, and not to just get other people saved but to save all the wreckage that had taken place because of the fall of mankind, to reverse all of it. And part of that is for us to be glorified humans, to then have the effects of the fall that happened to our bodies, to our minds, to our spirit, to our soul, have all the effects of that reversed and us restored where paradise was lost. Romans 8, 17, we read, and if children, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. So let's look at this verse for a minute. What are the conditions of our being a joint heir with Christ? We're told in this verse if we live here and suffer without sin, because of his grace, that's the condition, to suffer with him, to, to war against sin and not just say, I got my ticket punched and continue to live a wicked life, but he came to destroy the works of the devil and to give us victory over sin. If we live here and suffer without sin because of his grace, then we will follow in God's predestined way, not predestined people, but predestined way. As he was the firstborn of many brethren, we will follow him into his glorification. We're going to follow him in his train. We are joint heirs with Christ. Christ has become heir to a glorified body, and he becomes heir 
to a ruined world that is now made new again and heir of all those that have been redeemed. Isn't that an amazing thought? Why would God put such an honor on us to give us that joint heir, that joint inheritance with Jesus Christ? But that's his will. That's part of the, sp- the plan and the whole scheme of redemption. Job 9.25, we read, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job, and then the 27th verse, whom I shall see for myself. He said, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Even Job, way back in the Old Testament, knew about the resurrection of the body and the glorified state. So this wasn't something new that happened just when Jesus came. He reversed all of God's plans and made things different. This was God's plan from the beginning, from the foundations of the world. I know that's hard for us to wrap our heads around, but God has ultimate knowledge and foreknowledge. That doesn't make him responsible, but it just makes him God. He knew about it and then set this plan of redemption in motion to redeem all things. Our glorified bodies and our home will also be incorruptible. Isn't that awesome? We're living in a world where everything's falling apart. Corruption abounds everywhere. I mean, just look inside of your refrigerator. You watch things get mold and all that on them, you know, and that sounds kind of funny, but it's that way. You look at trees and vegetation, they fall apart, they rot, and we see decay around there. And then we know it as we age. I'm 36. And I already have, my wife and I said, I guess this is just part of getting old. We feel it. We feel like, you know, we got the same mind, so to speak, almost of when we had when we were 18 years old, although that could be failing as time goes on. And yet we find that our body can't keep up. We find that body is is decay. It's set to break down. But in heaven, we are going to have bodies in a home that's incorruptible. Romans 8.18, we read, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the hope for us if we walk with Jesus, if we've been saved, if we've been freed from all sin. 1 Peter 1.4, we have been redeemed to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. 2 Corinthians 5.1, for we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, that's our body, We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And then we're told that the inner and outer is all going to be changed in 1 Corinthians 15. But some man will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that that body that shall be but bear grain it may chance of wheat or of some other grain but god giveth it a body as it hath pleased him and to every seed his own body all flesh is not the same flesh but there is one kind of flesh of men another flesh of beasts another of fishes and another of birds there are also celestial bodies and bodies terrestrial but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another there is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars for one star differeth from another star in glory so also is the resurrection of the dead it is sown in corruption it is raised in incorruption <clears throat> It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. 
It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Praise God. Our glorified bodies will dwell not only in a glorified state, but in a glorified heaven and in a glorified earth. 2 Peter 3.13 Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Romans 8, 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature, that is the creation, waiteth for the manifestations of the sons of God. The restoration of creation is contingent on our glorification, on mankind's glorification. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And then in Revelation 22, 1 through 5, And he shewed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And we know this famous Christmas song, which brings these points out. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains, repeat the sounding joy, repeat the sounding joy, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make 
His blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as, far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love and wonders of his love and wonders, wonders of his love. So those that suffer with Christ shall reign with him. Our glorification is the final undoing of the curse of sin that has come into all of the earth. If you've not been saved, then you have those hopes and those promises ahead that if you do get saved, you will be glorified and live with Christ forever. If you're a Christian, don't give up. Hang in. It's worth it, no matter all the trials and troubles and pains. Jesus has been glorified, and he is then preparing a place for his bride, the church, so he can glorify them, and they will live with him forever and ever and ever. Please tune in next Sunday at 9 a.m. If you'd like a copy of this broadcast, please look for God's Resistance on your favorite podcasting platform. Look for us also on Facebook and Twitter at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us for teaching, preaching, and video content. You can find us on YouTube as well. Be sure to subscribe and turn on the bell to be notified of any new videos. And if you need someone to talk to, you need someone to pray with you, you got questions because of what you just heard, email us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or call us at 570-362-7782. Join the resistance. God's Resistance. A special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.